Welcome, everybody. I am Patty G, your host of The Patty G Show, and I am here with Thatch Baking Company and Sarah, who runs the show over here. And we're in her wonderful, beautiful kitchen with all of her display set up. So this is going to be a really fun episode. I'm super excited to learn more about Batch Baking Company and what you're for. So why don't you give yourself a little introduction about, you know, what the Batch Baking Company is, what you stand for, and what are some stuff you make? I know you make king cakes. We've all been seeing the king yeah. cakes. Lots and they of king look cakes lately. Delicious, especially this time of year. Um, so yeah, so what's, what is, in your words, the Batch Baking Company? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Oh, you're honored to be here. Um, Batch Baking Company, if anything, is the culmination of years of home baking and then deciding why not make something official out of this. Um, I actually have been baking since I was probably 12 or 13. Started with cornbread mix and worked all the way up to wondering how things were made from scratch. And so when I was in high school and college, I got a little more serious about it and actually studied entrepreneurship um, back from my undergrad degree. And if you Google my name, you'll probably find some type of statement about me wanting to uh, get my MBA and open my own bakery. And here I am in 2020, and I've mostly actually done that. So I uh, graduated with my MBA from LSU in 2017. And though I'm not originally from Louisiana, I decided to stick around in Baton Rouge. There's just so much amazing uh, growth and development happening for young professionals here, and I wanted to stick around and be a part of it. Um, originally, I just started at a nonprofit, and I'm still with them. I love being with them. Um, but in 2018, I decided, let's make this baking thing a little more official. I had some of my colleagues asking me to make uh, birthday cakes for their kids' parties, or maybe they had some company coming in town and uh, wanted to be a good you know, tax-paying citizen, <laughs> and officially registered with the right. Secretary of State. Um, but it, it always started as a labor of love, and I want to try and make things that are fun for me, that are new and exciting. And so I started making king cakes initially when I first moved here in 2015 to get my master's. I figured that's so unique to Louisiana, and I wanted to learn how to make that. Mm. I would also do cakes, cookies, um, pretty much everything except for artisan breads and fancy sugar cookies. I do not have the patience for that. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, I mean, I, recently I made homemade ice cream sandwich cookie wafers. Ooh, how was that? Oh, it's... Oh, chef's kiss. It was. Kiss. It changed my life to have them homemade and having baked for over a decade. I'd never even thought about making them until somebody asked me about it. So um, really, it's about exploring and trying something new and, and getting to be creative with food, um, which is, I think, most people in Louisiana would kind of understand what an outlet for creativity food can be. So oh, I try and do that absolutely. through baking with Batch Baking Company all the time. Hey, that's... Louisiana, we're known for several things, partying and for our food, you know, yeah. and being a part of that culinary environment, that culinary ecosystem is so cool. Even if it is on, you know, the baking side is huge. I mean, especially Mardi Gras season, you know, everybody, we love our sweets for breakfast. Like it's just baking galore. So before we get too heavy into it, I want some kind of light questions. What is the most difficult thing you've had to bake? So it depends on... Difficult or frustrating? Because there are some things that have been technically difficult okay. that have gone somewhat smoothly. Then let's let's split the question. Okay. So frustrating, I touched on this earlier, fancy sugar cookies. Okay. There are a lot of, uh, of bakers who do that very well here. I'm going to leave it to them because the patience it takes to do a specialty iced sugar cookie, it's a special skill set, and I am not willing to put in the time to perfect it. It is so frustrating to me. So kudos to everybody who does that. 
um, but technically difficult. I'd probably say it's actually a cake called a Napoleon. A Napoleon a cake. Napoleon okay. cake. So um, it has its origins in Europe, and it has typically between 12 and 20 very thin uh, pastry layers that okay. are sandwiched with a homemade vanilla custard. In between each layer? In between each layer. Okay. So you have to make a dough, roll it out, bake it, let it cool, and then you stack it and sandwich it in multiple layers in a pan, and you let it rest at least one or two days before you can serve it. Jeez, so, 20, so 20 layers. Yeah, so it starts... How, how, how tall does the cake end up? It starts about this tall, Okay. and then it compresses down as all the pastry layers soak up the all custard. Right. So it ends up a couple inches tall still. Okay. It's like a cream puff and a cake. Very tasty, but very labor-intensive. All right. Okay. So what? What's so the sugar cookies? What makes it so tricky? Is it like just like the icing, or is it the actual process behind making the dough itself? The cookie itself, I think, is pretty easy. I have a lot of experience with dough. It's mm -hmm. the icing. Okay. So you've got to get the icing to the right consistency, but also to be a talented enough artist to actually pipe onto a cookie and make it look like a design and not a Pinterest veil. It, <laughs> it takes a certain level of artistic ability that I'm not sure within my wheelhouse. I've tried. I made this little snowman and they have these cute scarves flapping in the wind and then you look at one and you notice his eyes are a little off and it's maybe not not for me all the time. But that's just the best part about a huge like a, a person making something whether or over having like a specific machine make something. You know, like I know within woodwork finding those little rarities or the mishaps is like, oh that makes a piece more special because you can see yeah. it was handcrafted. I'll think so. about that next time I send up some wonky eyed snowmen. <laughs> Oh, Just have like, you write a note for everybody. This that's is perfect. made with love. That's it. That's it. As long as I know it's made with love, they'll eat it, right? Yeah. Okay. So what made you want to get into baking? I know you said that it was always a dream, but like what, what kind of you know instilled that in you to one day open your own bakery? I think it all started with a general curiosity. If you ask my parents, I was kind of always the kid that was piddling around with something new. Um, how can I make this paper plate into a hat? Okay. I was interested in this transformative ability of taking one thing into something else. And at its core, that's what baking is. You take raw ingredients and you apply a type of science to it, which I've always enjoyed having rules to follow. Oh, it's it always is. nice. It is a strict, science. So you strict take, these, science. take these ingredients, <laughs> you add some rules, and then you get a new output. And I think I was always fascinated by that to see how you could take the same ingredients, but you use a different set of rules and you get a different output. Okay. I think being able to experiment with that and see how that can be different for every recipe is always really fascinating to me. And it truly did start with, uh, you know, just in the summers at home with my sisters, my oldest sister needed to keep us busy. And she'd say, here's a box of Jiffy cornbread mix, follow the rules on the back, make us some cornbread. It kept us busy and it kept us fed, which was great for my older sister babysitting us. But eventually I did have this curiosity about, okay, but Let's take it back a couple steps before somebody put it into a box for me. Right. What if I did it myself? What, what would that look like? What goes into how the Jiffy box? How can you manipulate box? it? Okay. And how does that impact your outcome? Okay. So it was this this idea of deconstructing what was already there and then figuring out other ways to manipulate it and use it to make something entirely different. Yeah. And I think maybe as a teenager, I didn't necessarily realize that that's what fascinated me about it. But retrospectively, as I look back, I can kind of see that based on patterns of my life and the subjects I liked in school okay. and the way I've chosen to apply that to baking, they really track with one another. Okay. So that's, that's really cool is the fact of how creative, even within baking, it's almost like a form of art and love at the same time. Um, so entrepreneurship degree that you got from Nashville, 
University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Okay, Gamas. Chattanooga, Gomas. <laughs> okay, what? Terrell Owens went to UTC. If you're a football guy. Your face says you're not. Uh, I, I am, but only like but, LSU. That's it. Yeah. Well, Past that. Well, if, if you're in the NFL, T.O. went to my okay. undergrad. Okay. He was inducted to the Hall of Fame last year in our baseball or uh, basketball arena. All right. People just learned something very fast Fun about fact. me. Fun fact. <laughs> okay. So the entrepreneurship degree program at Tennessee, what was what was it like? What were some of the courses y'all had? Because we have one here, and I want to see if is it is it comparable or are they on two different playing fields? Yeah. So... Overall, so technically my degree is in business management and my focus is entrepreneurship. So when you have room in your schedule for other electives, mine focused on entrepreneurship. And I think there were two in particular that I thought were really interesting. Um, One of them was literally called Creativity in Business. And it was taught by this woman who gave us the most absurd prompts for all of our projects. Uh, We literally, for one project, had to think about how to market pickle juice. And uh, for another project, we had to come up with a plan to sell people pet insurance. And this is truly pre-pet insurance. It's a thing now. But she gave us these kind of off-the-wall ideas to think, how can we creatively address this potential hole in the market and fill that gap? Um, But then one of my other classes uh, was actually taught by a serial entrepreneur. Okay. And I think that was probably my most beneficial class. He actually, I got this professor to write me my letter of recommendation to come to LSU. Um, And I felt that as much as I appreciated having career academics teaching me, um, having a true practitioner, someone who had actually been out there and created multiple businesses, learning from his business savvy was unreal for me. So he at one point owned a marina. And he told us about how he actually, for the marina, owned three businesses. One, okay. one that managed the dock. Right. One that managed the pier that the boats were on, and another that managed the actual boathouse. Okay. And then they were completely separated. So, so they that, were separate between the pier, the dock, and the boathouse. Correct. So the boathouse being the house to store the boats. So the boathouse being the like season, high where the restaurant clubhouse okay. type okay. thing. So one is like the physical dock you right. walk on. The other one is where the boats are stored. Okay. And the other one is where the people hang out. And so that way, if any incident ever happened and someone tried to sue him, they could only ever go after the Just single one. entity where the incident occurred. Okay. And it was... Uh, I bet the accounting for that was not, not too fun. But legally, pretty close to airproof. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, you've got... It's separate. It's the imaginary lines in either the water or the wood was where it began and ended. Yeah. But so I felt that having creative courses like that, of mm. think... Think beyond, I'm going to have a business and this is one thing. How can you um, not only market yourself creatively, but also legally protect yourself creatively? I thought those were some of the most beneficial courses I took. But my whole curriculum was also rounded out with your basic accounting, marketing, business statistics, so I could learn how to read what was going on with my sales reports. <laughs> right. Um, what, is this, what does this line item mean exactly? Something that uh, always stuck with me while I was in school was that a lot of people think entrepreneurship is about being your own boss. And for some people it is. Um, but my real takeaway from studying entrepreneurship at UTC was that entrepreneurship is about solving a problem. It's about addressing something that isn't currently addressed or taking an existing scenario and making it better. And sometimes that entails being your own boss. But at its, at its heart, being an entrepreneur means trying to be creative and filling a gap. Right. And so, uh, you know, I continue to work a day job and through multiple interviews 
in my multi-year career as a professional, oftentimes people ask me, well, I noticed you studied entrepreneurship. <laughs> Why do you want to come work for us? Aren't you just going to leave and go be your own boss? And right. now that I have started a business on this side, you know, I think you can do both. And I think that both of my jobs in a way are entrepreneurship because I work for a nonprofit that seeks to fill gaps in the community and make South Louisiana a better place. And even though I'm not my own boss there, I think I'm fully involved in entrepreneurship and creative thinking and creative problem solving. And I do the same thing for baking. It's just in a different way. Right. And that's, I really like that definition of entrepreneurship because it's, I mean, you can ask anybody on the street, we can walk around with a microphone and say, hey, what's an entrepreneur? Oh, somebody has their own boss. You know, yeah. that's the initial gut reaction. Somebody owns their own business. But I love the way you put it in the fact of being entrepreneurial is seeing a problem in one way, but thinking about how to solve it in an entirely different way that nobody has ever done it before, whether it is in your own company or it's on your own. Those two can both be equally under that definition of an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm all on board with that definition. I know some other people might not. Uh, I was just on Brian Haldane's podcast, and he asked me that question, and I told him my answer, which is along those lines. Yeah. And he kind of looked at me funny, <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, listen, Brian, listen. The way I'm looking at this is you're trying to put everybody into that box of you have to own your own business to be an entrepreneur, but you can be." intrapreneurial within an industry within a company and do things in a different way than it's never been done before and i i find myself i fall under that umbrella i do other things on the side like the podcast and whatnot but at the same time in my work i feel with the way i go about things the way i look at things and what i do and how i'm trying to help people is different than the norm and so that in and of itself makes me entrepreneurial minded yeah i would agree with that so all right so you love that fact about being creative and everything. So what made you want to go from Tennessee to LSU to get your, your uh, postgraduate degree? Yeah, I, more than anything, was looking for a change of pace. And I highly value diversity of thought. And though it's not always pleasant, because sometimes diverse thought doesn't align with what we want to hear, I think that um, having new experiences and being exposed to a different perspective than what you're used to can really help you grow as an individual. And I moved around a lot when I was younger through elementary school. I think I'd moved like five times by second grade. Okay. And um, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It just so, hit me. Second grade. I was like, oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. So I think I was, I don't know, like seven or eight. Okay. And then continued to grow up in the suburbs of Nashville, moved to Chattanooga for college, and did a semester abroad. And while How I was that, it was amazing. Where'd you go? I went to Lenz, Austria. Austria. That is a place I have not heard of people going of to abroad. No, no, I've, yeah. I've heard of Austria. I know of Austria, but, but I haven't. But it's like abroad. It's, oh, I went to France. I went to Europe. I went to Italy. You know, it's like, oh, no, I went to Austria. It's like, yeah. So okay. where I studied was an hour away from Vienna via Ooh. high speed train. So it was easy, like, okay. easy to pop over there for the weekend. Um, but no, so I spent five months there and I met people from all over the world. And I had the ability to travel to over a dozen countries while I was there for the semester, and I felt that it was a really eye-opening opportunity. And then I went back to Tennessee, and I love Tennessee, and I always will, but I knew uh, from a certain angle it would always be the same people. Right. And I, I knew I wanted to get my MBA. If I went back to UT Chattanooga, where I got my undergrad, half of my classes would be with the same professors. And yeah. so 
while to a certain extent, yes, you go to school to get the letters behind your name to be Sarah Gardner, comma, MBA. Mm-hmm. But for me, if I'm spending the time and spending the money on it, I really actually want to learn and to grow. Right. And if half of my classes are still just 4,000 level classes I took in undergrad, it's not very beneficial for me. Um, conveniently, as luck would have it, um, one of my sisters works in higher education and happened to be working at LSU. Um, I'd been out of school for about two years and had always planned at the three to five year mark of working in the professional world to go back and get an MBA. Um, but after two years in my job, I decided it's, it's kind of time. This has been a great two years, but it's not for me forever. So I started job searching and then knew I was going to leave no matter what. Either I'm getting a job or I'm going to school. And because my sister happened to be working at LSU, I threw my hat in the ring down here. Okay. Um, because I knew that I had a little bit of a safety blanket. You know, I've, I've lived in Austria alone. I, I can make it somewhere by myself. But it's always nice to at least have one person you know. Yeah. To it's... ease the transition a little bit. And lo and behold, I got accepted to the Flores MBA program here. And... Um, moved down practically side and sea. I'd come to visit her once, but I'd uh, never actually been to our uh, college business here at LSU. The first day I walked in was literally like to go and meet the director of our program a couple of days before class started. Um, so it was a bit of a risk. That's um, a pretty big risk, side but, unseen. And... But they do, I, I am at my core kind of a facts and data and numbers person. And they had some impressive statistics online about their class composition. And I mentioned earlier, I value diversity of thought. Right. Um, they had, depending on the year, between 25 and 30% international student population and about 50% women. And for okay. an MBA program, that's a very high percentage. Right. Um, business still continues to be a very male-dominant world, particularly for MBA programs. Mm. And so it was very appealing to me that they had a program that looked like the world we work in, um, that there are aspiring leaders and aspiring women and also, business is international these days. So there's no way you could work in a silo where you didn't have to coordinate with someone else from another <laughs> part of the world. And so the class composition at LSU really struck me as a big positive. And I'm so glad I came here. It was an amazing two years. But absolutely makes no sense if you didn't know that I had a sibling who worked here. Like, why is this girl moving here from Chattanooga? Right. That's kind of random. Well, then it just goes to a much deeper conversation. Like, okay, so clearly you have, you have no family. If you had no family here, you really had to do your research and think, okay, is the Floors MBA program something that's going to make me want to come here? Mm-hmm. You know, because in Tennessee, it's not like you're necessarily super close yeah. to Baton Rouge. I mean, yeah, you're, what, six or seven hours away. Yeah. But okay. eight, it's not bad. Nine, about eight. eight. Okay, eight hours. Um, but... Then again, you can look at the whole your whole eight hour radius around you. You know yeah. what else is within that area. Yeah. Honestly, I expected I would stay. So I was born in the Carolinas, and I thought okay. I would gravitate back towards there. That's where my mom's side of the family is. I was assumed I'd go to like UNC or something for my masters, mm-hmm. and truly would have never expected to go to LSU. And it probably, admittedly, would not have been on my radar if my sister hadn't been here. But it continues to be one of the best decisions I've made in my adult life. That's, that's good. Um, that's been, a good thing. Been, I mean, I think about it, though, and I feel like a lot of people probably understand this about business, but I feel like it's particularly true in South Louisiana. It's about who you know a little more than it's about what you know. And I feel like I got a great education at LSU, but truly the connections I made, the people I met while I was in that program, are what enabled me to feel like I could successfully start batch baking. Right. I mean, I've loved baking for years, and I never started... A baking business when I was in Chattanooga. 
Yeah. And I think that says something about the strength of the network that's here in Baton Rouge, that after two years as a student and a year or so as a professional, I felt like I could do that, that I had people here who would support it, that there's an ecosystem that wants to um, buy local, support local, shop small businesses. Uh, I, I felt supported to be able to start Batch here where I hadn't necessarily in any of the places I'd lived before. And while I would have never expected to come to LSU, <laughs> I think it's made all the difference in my ability to successfully start a business. Well, I'm, I'm very glad you went to LSU. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't be speaking and Batch wouldn't be in existence. So was was there anyone in particular that, you know, kind of reached out to and made you just feel over-the-top welcome with starting Batch? Or was it just the community as a whole? Just the community as a whole. I'd, I'd say that truly I got the first glimpse of, you know, this could be a real thing from some of my colleagues. Um, I'll call them Amber and Courtney. Um, they they have younger children, and they gave me a chance to bake for their kids' birthday parties. Okay. And so shout out to the first two. Yeah. Uh, so customers. I actually had had them sign my papers of incorporation when I signed with the <laughs> Secretary of State because it was very symbolic to me. Right. That truly I felt for the long longest time I was a hobbyist. You know, I baked because I liked it. Right. And then when there was this moment where someone said, what you do is of quality such that I will pay you for that. It was yeah. this turning point to me where I've always loved to do it. It was an experiment and I loved sharing with people. It's a great way um, to share a part of me with people. Oh, yeah. And even if I don't get to sit there and interface with you while you eat that brown butter blueberry muffin from City Roots, I get to know that that was a part of your day. Right. And that's really cool to me. Yeah. Uh, but truly that moment where I thought, okay, this could actually be monetized. And I knew that it could be. I mean, there are bakeries everywhere. People do it. And it's Louisiana. We love our sweets. Yeah, we love our food. People, people do it. But it, it truly was a moment where having my colleagues at my day job say, we acknowledge that you have this talent outside of the work that you do here. And we want to help support you with that really was the catalyst for getting started. And then got lucky with some intrinsic social media sharing and posting and Absolutely. Things have grown a lot over the past year. That's okay. So that's incredible in the fact that you felt such a good sense of community. And I just love hearing that about Baton Rouge and just strengthening the overall support that's here in this ecosystem. So what, with, within that support with, of your colleagues and of your fellow class, class people, what is it like at work with this? Like, do they have that fear that a lot of people sense people might have of, oh, she's going to leave us. <laughs> And go, you know, Batch is going to blow up and have its own storefront, and then we're not going to have her providing her unique gifts and talents within our company. Is there kind of some pushback or some hesitancy in that respect? I'd say it depends on who you ask. Um, there, there are definitely people in my organization who say, like, oh, well, when are you leaving? When are you going to start full-time? And it's partially in jest. Right. Um, but I think to a certain extent there is this concept of, like, oh, well, she could leave and do this full-time. And I continue to assure people, like, both of my jobs fulfill different parts of me. And they're both very important to me, and I like doing them. Um, I get to make a difference in different ways with each of them. And doing one of them alone would leave a gap. And so I, I think there's something to be said that, yeah, I mean, there are always going to be people, always going to be people who say, oh, well, you're leaving. When are you going to go start your store? Right. And, Comically enough, so in in my office building downstairs, we have a restaurant space okay. and a new place called Batch 13. 
right, right, just right. moved from Essen okay. to there. Oh, that's right. Y'all are y'all are right above the new Batch 13. Yeah, so Batch 13 is now in my office building. And so people are like, oh, well, if Batch 13 ever goes out, just scrape that 13 <laughs> off and you already have your bakery. And I'm like, no, guys, I don't, I'm not there. I'm not there. Um, but in a way, part of it sounds like it's joking, but I also know that a lot of it comes from a very supportive manner where... Of course. Where I know that the people I work with want me to be happy and want me to be successful. And I think they have a certain approach of maybe that's with my current organization or maybe that's baking full time and they'll support me either right. way. And right now I'm totally jazzed to be doing both. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I said that there, there weren't some people who yeah. made some comments or jokes about it, but I don't think any of it's ever ill-intended. Well, and, and Right. And it's never it's never intended of, oh, we have to like keep you here and restrict you to just working here. It's always a concern because they see, they see the true value in you. They see the true value you bring to the table and they don't necessarily want to lose those gifts and those talents. But I love the way you just illustrated the fact of you need both in your life. Cause a lot of people, they say, oh, well, if you can't go full time and full in, like there's something wrong. Like clearly it's, you're not an a true entrepreneur in the sense of their definition. But it's like, no, you need to be fulfilled in different ways. And one way is with your nine to five, as people call them. And yeah. the other way is with your craft that you love doing so much with Batch Baking Company. Yeah. You know, and it's we, that conversation needs to be more open and talked about within people and within the community of it's okay to have both. Yeah. Because people are so unique. We're so diverse. We have different needs. We have different desires and hobbies, for that matter, that we can't be fulfilled solely in one aspect. Now, many people can, and it's amazing. It's wonderful that they can in one particular thing. But there's a lot of us that just need that second thing or that third thing or yeah. some crazy of us need like five different things, <laughs> you know? But it's it's being open and being accepting of that fact of, okay, I understand that when you're here at your nine to five, you're here. Yep. Like you're all in, you're doing what we're telling you to do, you're fulfilling your requirements, you're meeting your deadlines, and you're not so distracted by what's happening on the side. But at the same time, it's also understanding, okay, when you leave here, you know, if it's like 8.30 or 9 o'clock and I got to call you and you don't answer your phone, you're clearly doing something within your other business or your hustle, your yeah. side hustle, and as I, it were. I think where it gets fuzzy is when your hobbies are monetized. Yes. So you think about how many people you know that go and play rec league soccer or baseball and, like, they play on a travel team and yeah. maybe they take a Friday off and they go – and they play a tournament in New Orleans for the weekend. Right. But nobody blinks an eye at it because they're not making money from it. And I think that's where things get a little bit tricky. Yeah. When there's a perception like, truly and honestly, this is a business, but I'm not making a ton of money yeah. baking a $2 cookie. Like, <laughs> you have to make a whole lot of cookies to outweigh the annual and, salary. And so just the thought of a dollar sign being attached to what I do can raise red flags for people. Mm -hmm. But... As an accountant, I'm sure you know this. If you could look at my books, this is not a business threat to my, my productivity at work. Like, it, it truly is like a... If anything, they should welcome it. Oh, she's bringing us breakfast this yeah, morning. Truly. I can't tell you how many king cakes I brought to work this uh, this season. Um, but no, I, I think that there is, is a, a sticky part when you come to monetizing your hobbies. Because right. I think you would be absolutely astounded to find anyone who literally went to work and went home and did nothing. Oh, yeah. People, hobbies can range from reading a book to playing a sport to gardening. And it's just a matter of whether or not you choose to do that on your own time for yourself or on the books legally underneath the Secretary of State. Right. That 
determine what other people see as too much of an investment yeah, well, and it's, or not enough of an investment in one thing or another. And, and even following down that, that sports line, you know, people travel to different tournaments and they compete in different tournaments and sometimes there's a cash prize. Yep. And we're like, oh, good luck on your tournament this yeah, weekend. Yeah, hope you win a grand. Have yeah, yeah hope, hope you win a couple grand or you win whatever you're going to win. But then it's like, oh, you know, we don't, you don't, they don't, when you leave on a weekend going, hey, I'm going to a show, it's not like you get a whole lot of, oh, I hope you sell, you know, 100, 300, 400 cookies yeah. or whatever it is you're doing. I hope you make a, a bunch of money at that trade show that you're going to this weekend. It's just, oh, okay, we'll see you on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it, that's yeah. something that needs to be more open and more discussed of welcoming that and being encouraging to those people because ultimately you're happier when you're doing something you love. Yeah. And if you're happy doing two things or multiple things that you love, whether it be your nine-to-five job or this thing afterwards, your employer should be like, go do that because when you come to work, you're a happier person. Yeah, and it truly makes a difference. So I think about it. Most people know that I love baking and I do baking because right. I have an Instagram page about it, right? Um, Social media is But powerful. I also am I'm immensely supported by my primary organization. I also participate in NASA social events. Where like, Wait, I'll NASA? Take, like NASA, NASA. Like Spaceship NASA. Yes. Okay. Like okay. Spaceship NASA. So like I've gone and watched a couple launches and they have events where you can apply for press credentials. Okay. And so you go and you get behind, some, behind the scenes tours. You meet astronauts and scientists and learn about what they're sending up to the International Space Station or the solar probe that they're going to send and explore the sun today. You know, so that's something that is absolutely not related to any of the nonprofit work I do or any of the baking I do. But I'm so blessed to have an organization that acknowledges that that's another weird, quirky, nerdy side of me that can't be fulfilled in my nine to five business job working with other nonprofits to advance uh, connectivity to autism resources. Right. You know, like that has nothing to do with rocket ship launches. I just think it's super cool. And having, having an organization that supports me in things that are just weird and geeky like that, that also a little more tangible, like making, you know, a, a muffin. It, it made a difference. And I mentioned before we started our Facebook Live, I'm not originally from here, and I wanted to do two years in and out LSU, and then I'm, like, hightailing it back home. But the community that exists within Baton Rouge was such that I wanted to stay here. And when I got the job offer from the company I work with now, mm-hmm. I knew I couldn't pass it up. Right. Like an organization like that that does such impactful work in the community and also is able to support their employees, like, you, no you, way I could pass yeah. that up. Not you, a chance. You, you don't want to leave. You know, and this is the same thing with me. You know, where I work, they're so encouraging and they're welcoming. They're like, you know, you do what you got to Like, you do you and we love what you're doing and all that. And so it's like, okay, you know, it makes me more happy to go to work knowing that they're so supportive and everything. And I think within a company here, especially here in Baton Rouge, they have that ability to, you know, take – three or five minutes, maybe 10 minutes with each employee and say, hey, what is, is there something you want to do outside of work that we can help you do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, even start just encouraging that because then you're not, you're building that relationship with your employees. They're saying, okay, my employer truly cares about what I'm doing here and what I want to do and what my dreams and aspirations are. So A, I have no reason to leave. And B, I've got more reason to be even more open with them and say, hey, They've got this great event coming up. I would love to go as a company representative. Like, can we make this happen? It's like, okay, well, that's NASA and we're an accounting firm. Like, <laughs> you know, just for comparison, like, yeah. that has nothing to do with what it is. But at the same time, having an employer or an organization realize, okay, no, they're going out in the community, they're making an impact, and they're being involved. That looks good on everybody. Yeah, I mean, from a strict business sense perspective, 
you know, from the kid with multiple business degrees. Right. Your business is important, but it can't work without your people. 100%. And, um, you know, I know that with Batch, I'm the only employee, so that's not something I truly have to invest in that much. But I have to remind myself, like, okay, pay attention to yourself. You matter. Right, of course. But when you're at a a multi-employee entity, paying attention to your people is so important. I mean, if if you're not reading into the clues of when people are getting burnt out or when they're feeling underappreciated, you are going to have turnover and... Retention can be a huge problem, that loss of institutional knowledge. And when something as tiny as, like you said, a five-minute conversation, how are you doing? What's going on in your personal life that we can support you with? How, you know, how can we help you be the fullest version of you that you can be instead of just eight to five accountant Patrick? Right. How can we help you expand that? Oh, who did you have on your podcast this week? Tell me about it. Showing signs of interest in someone beyond explicitly what happens at their cubicle Makes yeah. a world of difference. One hundred percent. It's it's your that employee is now knowing. Okay, they care about me as a person. Which when you know that people around you care about you and support you, you're ultimately going to be happier. Yeah. You know, I haven't I haven't met a bad uh, somebody who I've been like, oh my gosh, I love what you're doing. You're so great, and then be like, thanks, <laughs> like and just storm off. You know, it just it doesn't. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. It's like because you said I'm doing great, I'm quitting. I'm out. I'm like, come on, I want you to keep doing what you're doing. And that's, it's so powerful, and I'm, I'm so glad to hear that, you know, especially for BRAF, that they're so supportive of that, and they're so open to that, and they're almost, like, pushing you, like, look, we want you here, but at the same time, when you're happy there, you're happy here. Yeah. They also know, like, when I come back off of a rocket launch, I have this, like, nerdy grin for five days. <laughs> I'm like, do you want me to tell you about the Parker Solar Probe, and what they're going to study about the sun, and how it was the first, <laughs> the first space vehicle to be named after a living human? You know, like, I came back with more nerdy facts than they would ever want to know. And they, uh, sorry, I was about to go off on space facts. So Go, go for it, go for it, let's go. We're, we're only an hour away from the Michoud production facility in okay. New Orleans. Okay. And that's where they're building the space launch system, which is going to send the next man and the first woman to the moon and beyond, eventually to Mars. And so, literally in December, they shipped the first completed full space launch system, stage one core, over to Stennis for some testing and it will okay. eventually be fully assembled with the Orion spacecraft, which will send humans back to space and eventually to the moon. And they're going to put like a full modular thing on the moon. So humans can actually like live there and work out of the moon long term. That's pretty cool. And that was built an hour from here, like an hour from Baton Rouge. Yeah. And nobody knows that. Well, like, now, well, now, almost, now, 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 ten people watching this. Everybody do know. on the Patty G shows knows that at the Michoud facility, an hour away, they built the next, like, totally bomb rocket ship. It's really cool. It's it's nerd stuff. But so if you like space and a cookie or a muffin, it's there up. Yeah. And be like, hey, I got let's, you. let's 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 chat. We will we will sit down over a loaf of banana bread. And I will give poorly informed space opinions all day long. So every time I go, I mean, they're incredibly amazing, like super duper smart people there. And I'm like, I work for a nonprofit. (laughs) I think this is cool. And I mean, I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer. Like I didn't want to do business. Okay. My little kid dream was I'm going to go design rocket ships for NASA. And then I took physics and I said, no, man, I'm good. I'm taking, I took my A and I left and I had tilted out of there. But I, I think there's still something we said about like remaining fascinated with all the things right. that exist in the world. And you can do that through rocket chips or through cookies 
or through nonprofit work or through accounting, there are all kinds of ways to stay curious about the world. And in Baton Rouge, there's so much to be curious about. Yes, so, absolutely. Very I'm, lucky to be here. My, 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 nerd, my nerd time is with cars and engines and that whole fun side of things, yeah. which a lot of people, same with you. It's I could go into a whole depth and a whole you know spiel about cars and just motors and all that stuff. Space. And, I'm sorry. Exactly. I, I just got no, I sucked love in. It. I love it, though. I love Because you're talking about your passion. You're talking <laughs> about what you like. And it's, that's what this is about. We're about sharing it and showing it all out. Okay, so what what exactly do you do with BRAF, which is Baton Rouge Area Foundation, for those of you that don't know what BRAF is? Correct. So BRAF, not to be confused with Breck or Brack. BRAF, uh, <laughs> the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, uh, has been around for about 55 years. And at our core, we're a philanthropic agency. So we help... Um, connect individuals who want to be philanthropic community with other nonprofit organizations who need it. It's kind of how the foundation originally got started. Um, as we've continued to grow, we've built out other services. So we actually have an, a department that does strategic consulting with other nonprofits who may need help with developing a capital campaign, so like how to fundraise for the things that they need, or maybe building out their board of directors. And then there's my department, which is called Civic Leadership Initiatives. Um, what we do is we work on um, big projects that are going to help make South Louisiana better. And there are a lot of entities, both public and private, that work to do that already. So really what happens is if we've been able to identify a need, um, we kind of bring all the partners to the table that may be involved in that and ask them about their ability and willingness to address that challenge. And if they aren't able to do that, we consider it to still be a pretty strong and emerging need. My team gets to take it on, do a feasibility assessment, and determine how to solve that problem. So this kind of goes back to an entrepreneurship right. definition I was telling you earlier. At our core, we identify challenges in the community and try and make them a little bit better. Um, so over the course of our department's existence, our projects have been pretty wide-ranging. Um, some of them have been about mental health or healthcare in general. Some of them have been about transportation. Um, establishment of multimodal either trains or bikes or ways to get people you know out of cars and more efficiently moving between locations one of my key projects is about advancing autism resources in the capital area um, in 2016 we released a study that's literally the size of a ream of paper that outlines how there are a lot of great things going on in baton rouge but for being a capital city we're really lacking in autism resources for families who need it and so i help uh, facilitate a collaboration called the Capital Area Autism Network that's working together to try and raise the water so all the boats rise up, all the families are helped and right. are given access to more resources. Okay. Uh, but it really depends on what the need is at the moment. They're typically multi-year projects. Um, a lot of them are multi-million dollar projects um, or they at least have a need for that even if they're not funded. And so we work to try and identify how to fund those with federal grants, private dollars, and we do a lot of facilitation of public-private partnerships. Okay. Um, so I work with an amazing team of highly intellectual and talented people. And I'm the bottom of our totem pole. Um, but they do a great job at allowing me opportunities to learn and to grow and to network. Um, you know, I kind of mentioned I figured two years in and out of school. And so I didn't right. take a ton of time to build my network when I was still a student. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing the two and a half, almost three years since I've been at BRAF how wide I feel like that net has been cast. Oh, yeah. Uh, because, number one, of the connections I have at BRAF that have helped facilitate other introductions, but also others' willingness to, to take me under their wing and say, oh, I've heard you're affiliated with the foundation. would love to meet. love to grab lunch. And so gradually I'm winding my network and making connections. But, um, you know, at our core, Baton Rouge Area Foundation wants to make South Louisiana a little bit better. We acknowledge that it's a great place already. 
but that there's always room for improvement. So we just do what we can, fight the good fight every day. That's it. That's it. So were y'all, were you involved with the, the heart trail? I was not. Okay. I know of it. Right. Um, and we do have some mild involvement in public art. Okay. Um, but no, the heart trail was completely started by a student at master student at Taylor. LSU on yeah. architecture. He, yeah. He was two weeks ago, the week they had the heart the trail walk opening, the walk, he was, he came on the show. I didn't know what was happening then, but he came on and was, gosh, Taylor's, Taylor's a character. Yeah. He, he's wonderful. He is. Um, so what, what are some of the projects that you're working on? I know you said you're working on with some of the, the special needs projects. What, what are we, what's, what's in the works? Yeah. So autism is my primary project. There's some project in the works that are still confidential. Okay. So what is what's in the works? So one of the <laughs> what is not one of the more recent projects we helped facilitate a feasibility study about a bike share system here in Baton Rouge, um, and though ultimately the city parish is responsible for the new bike sharing system we have. Right with um, the, they, the Blue Cross Blue yep, Shield so bikes. Blue Cross Blue Shield is a primary funder. Uh, Baton Rouge General is also secondary funder on some of the hubs. Right. We um, we paid for the consultant who helped. Um, get that feasibility study done okay. because we identified that multimodal transportation is an, an emerging need here. Traffic is always a problem. And so we need to be thinking about creative ways to address that because, you know, think about how old the new bridge is, right? And then even if we raise money for a new, new bridge, that's 10 years in the future. And then so, what are we going to call it? The newest bridge. The new, okay. Well, the Goldilocks bridge the or Goldie something. Bridge? Like we'll have to think of some type of triad of names to establish them. We'll call the old old bridge the middle child. I don't know, but it uh, middle, you know one of our other programs. Child. New bridge is the oldest child, and the new new bridge is the, the youngest baby, child. The baby. The baby child that baby. everybody loves. Mama's boy. Yeah, everybody's everybody yeah. loves. Okay. But one of our other transportation projects that has literally been in the works for a decade because things take time is the establishment of a commuter passenger rail between New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Yep, I've um, heard of that. So we How are we coming? It honestly hope hopefully good. We I mean, we're chasing leads all the time. Do um, we have like an like an ETA of when we can expect to see something talk or Talk to the federal government about Got that. It. Got it. Okay. But we uh, no, so I mean my boss serves as the chair on a, a commission specifically meant to enhance and establish rail travel throughout the Gulf South. Okay. And so, like, through that, we're able to help facilitate a lot, but it requires a lot of collaboration and partnership, and um, there's also a lot of trickery about who owns what rail lines. So, there are multiple rail entities. Mm-hmm. Amtrak is technically over all of them. Like, they have the authority to claim whatever rail they want okay. because they're a federal entity, but gotcha. independent companies still own large segments of rail. And so, if you're going to do it the right way, which we want to do, like, Nobody wants to get bullied into anything. We want true collaboration on this. So it's something that we're working all the time. But if you think about it, like I heard people getting back from the national championship game, it took three hours for them to get from like the central business district back to Baton Rouge. Oh, if we had, yeah. So like after the national championship, three hours to get back. If we had a train, it'd be like an hour and 10 minutes, dependable every time. But how many people could the train hold? I'll have to consult the study. Hundreds. And it, I mean, take multiple trips a day. It right, would right, be right. less than parking in downtown New Orleans okay. for a round trip today. So, yeah, you'd, you would get some people off, but not maybe cut it down to two and a half hours, 2.15. Oh, no, I'm saying... Are you thinking cut it down even further No, than I'm that? saying you get on the train. Don't even think about getting on the road. Get on the train. It's an hour and ten minutes. Right, but how many people were at the game? 
Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> exactly. The thing is, the thing is, who, is everybody at the game going to leave it at 8 o'clock in the morning? No, they're going to be no. staggered, right? Valid and you're point. taking multiple trips a day. Yeah. You take hundreds of people. A lot of people are truly flying out of the New Orleans airport, which would be one of the stops along the train. Yeah. If it went according to plan. <laughs> but I'll, I'll caveat all of this with saying I'm not the train expert. Right. But I'm totally a fangirl. Like, I would oh, ride. Oh, absolutely. Think about it. Like, all the time you spend commuting to New Orleans when you could instead. Like, for Mardi Gras. Be drink, drinking a beer, working on your laptop. Like, That's oh, it. I have a meeting in New Orleans once every so Wait, often. We're not, we're not encouraging Just drinking and working. But if you're on the train. <laughs> And it's a Friday, and you're going to go to the Elton John concert, which is June 24th, that I have tickets to. It's more appealing. Much Do more it. appealing. Do yeah, it. Absolutely. Okay. So, to to uh, circle back around um, to baking. Sorry, I got it. I got this way off. I can <laughs> no, talk I love about it. anything, so I, my bad. But but I, I love it because that just, that just reiterates the fact of how diverse and how unique Baton Rouge and this ecosystem is, is we can have a conversation going into it. I'm thinking baking, brownies, cookies, and all this stuff. And the next thing I know, we're talking about a high-speed train from Baton Rouge to New Orleans, circling back around to living on the moon. You know, yeah, you're gonna have so, a hard time like subtitling this podcast. I don't. I'm, I'll think of something. <laughs> I'll figure it out. Um, okay, so okay, baking, baking in that environment, in that culinary, you know, ecosystem that's happening around Baton Rouge. How, in your opinion, does it seem for new people? new ventures is it very welcoming of like oh yeah come on in you know bring come to this setup shop that we've got and you know bring your stuff out or is it kind of oh you gotta earn your place i'd say it's more welcoming than not okay um i don't know that i've necessarily experienced true hostility there have been a couple times i've proactively reached out places to try and pop up and they were they never responded and were rude they just never responded at all but for the most part people have been very receptive Mm-hmm. Um, and as I continued to gain a little bit of more track, a little bit more traction on social media, right? If anything, they were proactive about saying, "Hey, oh. we have this pop up at White Star. Would you be interested in coming out on this Sunday or mm-hmm. Hot Art Cool Nights, um, White Light Night?" Like overall, I feel that it's a very positive and welcoming environment, and particularly among bakers. I know since I've started. There are a couple of people who are like, we all connect on Instagram and like we buy each other stuff and we send Absolutely. each other messages. And, um, <laughs> Have you tried this recipe or yeah. something like that? And so that. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that's fully inclusive because there's definitely a bit of um, sense of pride in the work that you've done and not necessarily wanting to lose your focus from that right. out of the sake of being nice to other people. And maybe I fault myself for doing that. Where like I know there are a couple of people where I've sent a big write up about like here's how you establish yourself with the Secretary of State. Here's how you need to have your articles of incorporation and kind of give them the business how to. But right. I think it's because I didn't have someone giving me that technical knowledge when I started, mm-hmm. and I googled the crap out of it. Um, and so I think there's a lot where people realize like, hey, you're new too. Can you help share your lessons learned? And overall, I think that's a very positive and welcoming environment where everybody's willing to kind of incubate with each other and grow and know that there's room for a lot of people like yes a lot of us bake there's a another baker in town named michelle who does exclusively japanese well not exclusively she has like japanese uh cheesecake which is like very fluffy and light Mm -hmm. and like certain types of bread and we can coexist because i don't touch japanese fluffy king cakes right or little sausage breads (laughs) right or you know so I think Y'all, that there's there's definitely the acknowledgement that there's a room for mm-hmm. a lot of different types. But within food, but more specifically within baking, there's so many niches within that. 
Right. That there's room for a lot of people. And I think that that's a very positive ecosystem. Okay. And I love that. So starting to get towards the end of the show, I like to ask some questions about, you know, what are some of the lessons, like what are two lessons you've learned in this journey thus far? Okay. Well, I've learned way more than two. <laughs> um, but I think one that's probably the most important that I still admittedly am trying to enforce um, is preservation of self by saying no. So uh, this is something I've touched on before, but in the name of growing and having new opportunities, I've said yes to a whole lot of things like those wonky snowman cookies that I knew weren't necessarily outside of my wheelhouse, but I wanted to grab at every opportunity I could to grow. Right. And thankfully, most of them have not been to my detriment. If, if they're negative anyway, it's due to my sleep schedule, the sleep that I give up in order to fulfill the thing I said yes to. Um, but to be intentional about when you say yes and when you say no, um, that's something that I still continue to work through. But I think that's a lesson I wish I had been more stringent with myself from the start. Um, I was just so eager and still con I continue to be eager to right. please other people and to pursue new opportunities. And um, sometimes that just wears you down. You, you know, you're haggard all the time from, <laughs> from saying yes to opportunities that aren't necessarily a good fit for your business right. or for your soul. You know, I'm trying to do this because it makes me happy. And there are some days where I've been in the middle of baking and I thought, I'm not happy right now. Like, I want a Marie Kondo this baking job and say, this does not bring me joy. I will thank it for its service and send it on its way. Um, that is probably the number one thing. Um, but number two, broader business sense is be careful not to burn bridges. I don't necessarily feel like I've done that, but I've seen other people do it. Right. And it happens fast and it happens without you realizing it. So when possible, I try to be as, friend as friendly as possible, as manageable as possible, even if I've only had two hours of sleep, um, especially if I'm dealing with clients, potential clients. You never know when you having an off day can impact someone else's perception of you. And particularly as a sole proprietor, mm -hmm. that makes a huge difference because I am my company. I am my brand. Yeah. And so I have to be on all, pretty much all the time. Every time I can think about being on, right. um, I know that I represent not only the brand, of my company and my daytime, but also 24 seven, I am batch baking company, like it or not. I am every employee from frontline baker cook to CFO, CEO, CMO. Right. And having to consciously think about how to be all of those things at once, I think is really important because it'd be easy one day to have one hat on, mm -hmm. but burn a bridge because I'm not thinking about all the other hats that I also have to fulfill for my company. Yeah. And that's, that that's something that I continuously trying to learn is the the art of saying no and ensuring that you don't overbook yourself. You know, I've like two weeks ago I overbooked myself and told somebody I was gonna be somewhere and ended up having to cancel last minute because I had an event that ran long. Yeah. And you know, it's understanding that you can't be in two places at once is something that, especially as a starting entrepreneur or a startup, we're like, like you said, we have to be at everything that we can get to because we're trying to get out there. We're trying to get our brand and our message, but truly understanding, okay, I've made it to these six things this past week. This seventh one that's going to conflict with one of these, maybe I'll just have to say no. Yeah. But politely. It's, it hurts. It's so hard. It hurts deep in my soul to say oh. no because 
Like, I'm intrinsically a yes man. I want to please all the people, and I want everyone to think very highly of me. And I struggle with saying no because I assume it comes with a negative impression. Right. Because I was not able to fulfill someone's want or need. Right. And, like, I had somebody the other day say, can you get me two king cakes tonight? And I, I legitimately... Though I know I've been booked for King Cake season since January. You started running through your head. On Saturday, I pulled up my spreadsheet to see if I could fit them in. And yeah. I had to press pause and say, you know you can't do that. You will be too stretched then. Like, you still have to function for your day job. You have to function for your clients. You have to have high-quality bakes. And if you try and squeeze too many in, in one period. It won't I mean, happen. It's, you, can't have, you can't have it all. And people yeah. kind of ask that, like, oh, wow, you seem like you're doing so much. How do you do it all? You don't do it all. You have to make sacrifices, and you have to right. give things up. Um, and so sometimes giving it up means losing sleep. Sometimes giving it up means losing an opportunity at a sale because you know that you're already committed and you have other things that you have to fulfill first. Yeah, and it's uh, – I, I, still, I still struggle with that recognition of when to say no over saying yes because I'm, I'm, I'm riding the boat with you of any, uh, anything somebody asks me. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. Like, let's let's make it happen, you know. And I finally have caught myself this past this past week where somebody asked me, "Hey, can you can you can you meet me on like a Wednesday or Thursday?" And I, I was like, "Yes." And I looked at my calendar. I'm like, "Sorry, no." <laughs> but even then, I'm like, "Okay, if I get this person, I cut them down to 30 yeah. minutes." It, it, I'm trying to make. I'm like, "Okay, no, I can't do it." But here's three other times that I can make it happen. Yeah. You know, so I'm learning to when I say no, follow with a comma, but. And offer a different alternative. And if it just ultimately doesn't work out, then it ultimately doesn't work out. Yeah. So, okay. Um, what is something in Baton Rouge that you could change given the opportunity? This is kind of petty of me. I wish people would just put their grocery cards back. That is one of, one yes. of my biggest pet peeves. <laughs> and, like, literally, I was in Mathern's parking lot the other mm-hmm. day. And this woman just stopped and left her cart in front of my car and made eye contact with me. She, and then she, turned she, around and got in her car. She gave you the death stare and like that. Well, the... she dropped it off. And then when I went to grab her car, she went, oh, thanks. Excuse me, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> you are not but 20 steps from the door. You do not seem to be physically impaired in any way that would make that a challenge to you. Right. And now I just got your cart and put it back into the cart corral in the rain because you wouldn't do it. And I know it's petty, but I'm like, man, but, think but about how high. many cars. Th- I mean, people say our car insurance is high here because people are bad drivers. Think about how many insurance claims are from rogue carts. I'm just saying, your insurance rates could go down if you put your carts up. Please and thank you. I love, I love, <laughs> great response because I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. We'll finish grocery shopping, ugh, shopping, shopping at like Rouse's or somewhere, and I'll, I'll get out and like I'll dump all the groceries and then I'll go and. We could be parked like here and the cart crowd is here and I'm walking all the way and my wife will just sit there and be like, come on, like walk faster. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm okay. I'm right there yeah, with you on that I feel that like one. that's a manageable thing. I mean, there it's are a lot manageable. of manageable. We can all, we can all do that on an individual there level. There are a lot of deeper systemic things in Baton Rouge that I would like to snap my fingers and change. Like we have a lot of really deep seated racism here. Right. That's a different challenge than asking everybody kindly to please put up your carts. You know, I feel like that's something that we can... Start making an effort on today. That's it. Today, tonight, the next five minutes. You're at the grocery store. Just bring it back to the corral, please. Put your please. card up. Please. Just put it up. I implore you. Put your card up. We, we, we both, at Batch Banking Company and the Patty G Show, fully support putting the carts back where they belong. Any, or buggies. Carts United. At the, 
Cards United. Okay, Sarah. Um, final question. What is something that I can help you with? Mm, probably pretty soon my accounting. <laughs> okay. I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm, right, I'm right here for it, but okay. Yeah. No, I mean, everybody's a different network, right? Right. So, I mean, we hadn't met before we made this agreement for you to very graciously interview me and give me some screen time. Um, and so I stressed earlier the importance of relationships. So the ability to know that anybody you've interviewed is technically now a connection I can access. Absolutely. Through that. Um, and I think that's what's great about Baton Rouge. But don't be surprised if I call on you for that. Hey. I um, may see somebody pop on <laughs> like, excuse me, uh, Patrick, I need to speak with them. And I'll, I'll be more than happy to connect you with their permission, obviously. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, at least for the first time. The second time, I'm like, hey, you're on the show. You understand. Yeah. You're now in a network of, of the Patty G people. That's it. Oh, no. The sign. Group text. This, yes. <laughs> start. Okay. Group text or Instagram group. We'll figure some. Well, some people are on Instagram. Or group me. Oh, group me. Yeah. We'll figure it out. We'll you make it happen. I don't know if everybody uses group me. No. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. A lot of people do, but not everyone. Okay. Anyways, we're starting to yeah. ramble and whatnot, but it's all good. Okay. So, everybody listening and watching, this has been the latest rendition of the Patty G Show with Batch Baking Company and Sarah over here, who so graciously let me in her home. That's gorgeous, wonderful kitchen. I now see why she bakes. I would never want to leave the kitchen. <laughs> if it's I was one of here. the reasons I bought the house, admittedly. Like I walked in with my realtor. It's like, yes, yes, this is the one. <laughs> this will do. This will do. It's perfect. Okay. So everybody watching at home and everybody listening, thank you so very much for taking the time out of your busy day to give the show a listen and to listen to what we got to say, which I think is a lot because there's a lot going on in Baton Rouge. And I want to thank Sarah for your precious time of coming on the show. I know we're right in the middle of baking season, but thank you for coming on and being a guest on the show. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. Absolutely. And for everybody listening, if you like the show, please be sure to subscribe, share the page, go check out Batch Baking Company, give them a like, give them some love, and share the most recent post, because why not? It's just a button. And subscribe. Okay. I think I'm done. Everybody, have a good one. I'm Patty G, signing out with Batch Baking Company. Yeah.